Right now we're in Acts 2. So if you open up your Bibles and you can um, open up your apps, wherever it is, and once you get there, go ahead and stand if you are able. Um, it's in page 911 in these black Bibles that we just handed out. We're going to read about six verses. It's Acts 2, 42 through 47. Acts 2, 42 through 47, the word of our Lord. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing them proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. May this word of our Lord unite us as a church and make us bold as missionaries. You can take a seat. I'd like to buy the world a home and furnish it with love. Grow apple trees and honeybees and snow white turtle doves. I like to teach the world to sing, sing with me. looked down the audience to see who the hippies were and I saw a few of you. Raise your hand if you know that song. Wow, I've never heard that song until I found this commercial. Boo to the youth, boo. Boo to the older people who didn't make that world come true. Yeah. Just saying. Where's this perfect harmony you hippies sang of back in 1970, <laughs> holding a bottle of Coke? So why start with that? Uh, my name's Josh, by the way. I lead students. I work with youth, and I'm a fan of all you older folks. I really am, so that's why I played that. Um, and I'm part of the teaching team, and we get to talk through this passage, which if you've been around church, it's probably pretty familiar. You've heard it. Some of you probably Make this an idol in your church life, in your church existence, in your, in your thought, in your head, is I want to get back to this Acts 2.42 idea. In this commercial, which was 1971, we're going to watch a ton of commercials tomorrow. Hopefully there's a few that kind of speak into the deep longings of humanity tomorrow. But they're speaking into this world is broken. It's not connected like it's supposed to be. I'd like the world to sing in perfect harmony. And my big idea today is this. Just so the church is God's new community bringing unity in a broken post-garden, garden being the garden in the Bible, world. 
What do I, we, we do a preaching collective. All of us teachers get together two weeks before we teach this passage. And one of the guys just kept saying, as I read this, it feels like the Garden of Eden. It feels like the Garden of Eden. And I think he's on to something. I think that's what it's supposed to feel like. I think that's how God wanted to feel, to feel like the Garden of Eden. And yet I worry that church, if you've been around church at all, you start to get kind of church filters and church blinders, and you see the Bible, and you see Bible stories and passages and church life through a certain lens. And there's a few lens I want to kind of throw out there and say, let's, let's get beyond just that lens. So one of them is this. You picture church to be like a school environment, meaning information gathering is what you come here for. You love knowledge, you love the Bible, you love truth, yet when you think of the church, if we boiled it down, it would be gathering facts, truths about God. I have three little kids, and I'm, by default, uh, I have to ask them questions after Sunday school. That's what you got to do as a kid. And my default question is this, what did you learn? What did you learn as if church's primary role in the life of people is to import some information to your head so you have something to learn to regurgitate it later? So this Acts passage, I don't want you to think through, it's because you might say, oh yes, the apostles' teaching. Well, here's what church should look like, and it's a very information-heavy church. That's not, it's, it's more in line with that commercial than a deep Bible study passing on information to other people. It's more than that. Here's the other thing I'd say. It's not a courtroom. I've told you this before, but I grew up Catholic. And church felt like entering into the courtroom with my parole officer and kind of paying my dues so that God was less and less, less mad with me. And some of you are good old Protestant Reformed people and you believe in the atonement of Jesus. Yet you boil everything down in the faith to the substitutionary atonement of Jesus for your individual sin and guilt. Meaning, the whole Christian life for you can be boiled down to you and God as judge. And Jesus stepped in the middle and paid for your sins and now everything's good. That is part of it, but that is not the whole picture. This Coke commercial gets to the whole picture better than a courtroom scene. And here's the other. Some of you are church strategy or church system. You have a church ideal in your head. And you want Redemption Gateway to get back to Acts 2.42 through 47. And the idea in your head maybe is different than what we do here. It's a house church, which is fine. Or it's this sort of church. This passage is not a template to be passed on from generation to generation to generation on how you do church. It's what you do as the community of God, but it's not how you do it. Does that make sense? A little bit? Not a few knots. It's Saturday. I know we want to go to the club after this, but a few knots. <laughs> so, so just in your, I just ask you to do this. Think about where you land on that. And this passage is about restoring humanity. Bringing back unity into the world that was broken in the garden. And that's what this passage is about. And how the ch people of God, the church, does that. So I'm going to break it down in three things. We're going to talk about garden work. What should the church do? We're going to talk about garden fruit. What response will there be? And garden weeds. What's the issues we're going to face as we move forward in this? Garden work, what should we be doing? Garden fruit, what will be the response? In Garden Weeds, what's the issues we're going to run into? So that's what we're going to do as we walk through this passage. So let's start here in verse 42. Let's read verse 42 and 43 again together. It says this. 
they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Pause right there. I think this gives us the four things of the church. Apostles teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. That's what I think the church should be doing. That's what it says here. But more than that, I want you to see a key word here. And they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. They didn't fall backwards into a unified community by accident and by God's grace on their silliness. They devoted themselves. The word there is sincere, consistent, perpetual devotion to these acts. That's what they did. The church has work to do. Garden work. What should the church be doing? These four things. The apostles teach you, devote yourselves to this. Devote yourselves to this. Devote yourselves to this. We just had winter camp when we got back, and one of the mentors was talking to some other folks, and he said this. He's like, I realized after this camp, if I'm going to do well in student ministries, I can't miss camp. He's like, you just can't miss camp. What happens there and the relationships that foster and cold, you just can't miss camp. Now let's put this ball in your court now. As you think about church, you just can't miss, what is it for you that you just can't miss about church life? Is it at least Sunday regular attendance? Or is Sunday optional? You just can't miss the Sunday gathering. Now, throughout this whole message, I'm going to push those of you that maybe are just toeing the line and starting to get to Sunday attendance, that there should be more based off what I see here. But you just can't miss blank. Like the people watching, if somebody had to write a story about your life and they had to fill in this about your view of church, Micah, he just couldn't miss his RC on Thursday nights. He wouldn't miss it. Too often, I think it's, you just can't miss youth sports. You can't. You can't miss youth soccer. You just can't. You just can't miss reading. You just can't miss. You just can't miss. In your church life, what are the things that you just can't miss? Wrestle with that. Because they didn't fall into this wonderful, harmonious community. They worked their way into it together in communion because they said, we just can't miss this. And one of the things they can't miss, we're going to walk through these four things and kind of give some flesh to it. But the first one is they can't miss the apostles' teaching. Now, if you've not been around the faith for very long, here's what you might think, that this Bible at some point dropped down to earth and we picked it up and we've had this thing ever since. That's not quite how it went. It was very kind of in stages we got this thing. So when they say they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, what were they talking about? Here's what they're talking about. They've got these guys named apostles who saw Jesus, walked with Jesus, experienced Jesus, and now Jesus has given them kind of superhuman power to do stuff. Next week you're going to see Luke preach on the, the lame beggar being healed. These apostles have all this power and they've experienced Jesus firsthand and now they're writing stuff down and telling people how to live. 
So they devoted themselves not to the Bible, but to the teachings they had in place from the apostles around at that point in time. Now, why is that important? I think that's important because too often the Bible is like an academic book. We think this is just, it's like calculus. Calculus never changed. Calculus was the same 100 years ago. It's the same today. It's just, it's just, it's just facts. It's just facts. It's just a book of facts. It's a living document, not in a heretical, it's going to change way, but in what God is trying to do through his word. So here's what I wrote, what I think the apostles teaching, a good way to think about it. It's God's written address to a particular people to shape them in a particular missional context. That's why there's 27 books in the New Testament. Four of them are gospels, and the bulk of them are given city names. Ephesians, Ephesus, Galatians, Galatia, Thessalonians. All these books are cities because the apostles are writing to particular people in particular places. And they get together and they study what the apostles, through Jesus' power, have to say to them in their particular context. That's what God wants from us, to get together and say, what does God have to say to us right here, right now? There's a few hot-button topics going on. I can't even get on Facebook anymore. Does God have anything to say to us as his people, as his witness representative to the world right now? Or is this book nothing more than just an individual devotion book that we all go to and maybe get a nugget or two for our own individual walks and we all leave these individual lives? That's not how the early church was. They got together and they said, what does God have to say to us for this place right now? That's the apostles' teaching. That's what we hope to do in our Sunday preaching. That's what, just to give you a context of what they did, if you were to kind of study early church, here's what they did. They got the letter, whatever it was, and someone read the whole thing. And then if there, there was more documents, they read those. And then whoever it was reading those kind of expounded on a little bit. And there was like this dialogical back and forth between that guy and the congregation, usually a house church at this point. And they wrestled with what God had to say to them. And then they prayed, and then they went their way. They got together for the apostles' teaching, not to get truths from a distant God, but to learn how to live from a God who loves them and wants to shape them for Queen Creek, Arizona, for Mesa, Arizona, as being an engineer in this place, as being a stay-at-home mom. Whatever it is, God wants to shape us as a people as we go out. That's the apostles' teaching. That's it. Now, with each of these, I want to say just how we do it here at this church. How do we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching? Well, we teach the Bible on Sunday. And we do it a particular way most of the time because we want to be faithful. And we just open up a book and we walk through it. Now here's what I don't want you to think. That's the only godly way to do it. It's not. It's just the way we as leaders have decided, you know what, the best way we're going to devote ourselves to apostles' teaching is to just walk through books of the Bible and hit whatever we hit along the way. And then in your RCs, if you're not in a small group here, what the RCs do is they take what was taught Sunday prior or now Saturday prior, and they try to figure out for themselves what it means for them in their context. And then we have men's and women's ministries here who study the Bible. And we have classes, a lot of classes driven primarily towards those of you trying to figure out how to get into this book for the first time. That's how we do it here. It's not the 
foolproof way. We're figuring out, but devoted themselves. What do the apostles have to say? The apostles are the ones walking around doing these amazing things who walk with Jesus, and now they're telling him, this is how you live, and we want to hear from those guys. That's what this is. Second one is this. This is the one I'm just geeked about teaching. To the fellowship. That word fellowship is weird. Just confession here, I don't like it. Because I didn't grow up in a Baptist church setting that had a fellowship hall. So every time I hear someone say, we're just going to fellowship, it just sounds weird to me. So what does fellowship mean? It means hanging out. Why don't you just say hanging out? Well, it's called fellowship. Why is it called fellowship? Well, because it was written in the Bible, so now we call it fellowship. Okay, I'm confused. And all my non-church friends out there are confused when we say, we're going to fellowship. What does that mean? It means hanging out. Why don't you call it hanging out? I don't know. That's what the church people told me to call it. We've got to call it fellowship. Because here it says, they devoted themselves to the fellowship. The Greek word there is just kind of rooted in this word common. Common people getting together under a common purpose. The fellowship. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. Let's just read what, this is just, this is Garden of Eden at its finest. Go to verse 44. This is the church. Now moving away from just what they do with the word, but what they do together. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. That is the church. That is the Garden of Eden picture. That is the poetry of what the church should be. Now, I was thinking through, how do I teach this without just laying upon guilt saying, hey, we're not doing this. I want to walk you through my church experience. I didn't grow up in the church. I got saved at the end of high school. I've been a part of three churches, two in Texas, one here. I wasn't a pastor for most of that time. I became a pastor a couple years ago. But I just want you to walk through how I've experienced this. And I'll tell you, the only way I got to experience this is I went to Sunday, and I enjoyed the Sunday experience, and I took one more step into the life of the church depending on what the church offered. So for one church, it was a Sunday school class with a couple of older folks talking to a couple of young marrieds. For another church, it was just an old guy group sitting around, drinking coffee, eating bacon, listening to old guy stories. And I said, I'm there. Here, it's been redemption communities and serving with other people in student ministry. But it's been more than Sunday. None of this that I'm about to say ever happened on a Sunday. So just let that sink in, those of you who are just Sunday folks. What's the next step? So, I just love this. This is my life. Bill in Denton, Texas, the old guy group. I said, it was right before Thanksgiving. He said, what are you doing for Thanksgiving? I said, I'm driving to South Carolina. Really? For what? Oh, we're going to go visit Aubrey's grandpa. Great. He's like, what are you going to drive? I said, my car. Yeah. And he said, the, that thing out there? And I said, yeah, of course. What's wrong with the 98 Accord with 220,000 miles, Bill? And Bill said, why don't you come over to our house? And him and his wife made me dinner. And they said, here's our keys. You take our brand new Toyota. Don't take that stupid car with your pregnant wife across the country. I said, how much do I owe? He said, don't be dumb. Take my car. Enjoy it. It had this crazy thing called GPS I had never used before. And we drove across the whole country because I stepped into an old guy group. An old guy fellowshiped with me and had all things in common with me. 
Next one, Bob at my next church. We moved and now I'm at McKinney Memorial and Aubrey buys this table from Goodwill. She's like, oh, I want to fix it up. I'm like, that looks terrible. She's like, it was only 80 bucks. Let's fix it up. She's like, oh, there's got to be somebody who can help you. I said, but I don't want to be helped because I don't want to do this. This looks like a lot of work. (laughs) And then another old guy, Bob, said, I'll help you. Take it to my house. And over the next four months, Bob spent hours upon hours upon hours with me sanding and refinishing this table, which is still in our house today. I'm going to look at that table and think, fellowship. Bob sharing, having all things in common with me. And all I did was step towards relationships in the church. Barry and Julie Watts, this first, in McKinney Memorial, they didn't do small groups. They had Sunday school. So it was on the same day. So you went to church and then Sunday school. A lot of information for your head, but that's how they did it. Stepped into Sunday school, and Barry and Julie Watts are one of the older couples in there. And they say, I would like to take you out for dinner. And he's a doctor, and he took us out to dinner. <laughs> and buy a glass of wine, a bottle of wine, and steak. And he paid, and he got to know us. And I'm still dear friends with Barry and Julia to this day. Julia Watts is the reason I am in ministry. Sitting in the Sunday school class, I would just kind of ask questions along the way and chime in. And she said one time, Hey, Josh, I think you should think about teaching this Sunday school class one time. And now I'm here as a pastor. All because Barry and Julia stepped in and wanted to be a fellowshipping bunch in this church. And I stepped towards what that church offered. Just beautiful stuff. Vern Garrison is one of the elders at that church. And he just called me two days ago. And he said, man, I really miss you. Are you coming back to Texas? No, man, we're stuck here. I like my church. I like my job. It's great. He's like, gosh, I miss having breakfast with you. I said, I miss having breakfast with you too. Stepping towards relationships in the church. And then fast forward, we get here. Within the first six months of getting here, I'm a teacher, and teachers make way too much money. You know that. So, so what the government did is they froze our salary for the time I was at Tempe teaching math. So I had skimpy little budget, and me and Aubrey did our budget, and we were $50 short for the month over the course of the year. So every month we're going to be $50 short. I'm like, gosh, what am I going to do? I don't want to coach. I don't want to. I just don't want to do anything. And this guy at this church, this is before I'm on staff, so it's not like a pastoral duty or right that I got. He said, hey, I'd like to go out to coffee with you. We sit down. He says, me and my wife have been praying about people in the church. A check for $600. For you mathematicians, that's 50 dollars over the course of the year every month. My budget fit perfectly because of the fellowship, having all things in common here. We had our third son, and it's stressful. We got two other kids that we can't even control, and we bring our third son home. My wife's up with the kids, and I'm like, what are we doing? I knock at the door, and Mike Creo's there. He says, I've been working on this all night for hours, and he baked the best apple pie we've ever had. Mike Creel plays bass on Sunday. He runs our foster care stuff. He said, there you go. Enjoy it. Love you, buddy. Fellowship. Like, who wouldn't want that? It's the co-commercial played out right here in the church. That's what's happening. They had all things in common. One guy in this church recently lost his wife to cancer, and I would meet with him periodically. And I was blown away because I was always worried about the financial piece. Man, that's a lot of money. And every time he he was just unfazed by my questions. He said, my RC is taking care of all this. What? They had all things in common. They fellowshiped. There was a common 
thing to what they were doing. They said, this isn't our stuff. This is, this is God's stuff. They weren't communists. They were just loving Christians. <laughs> two ladies in here, Pat Clevin and Linda Hankins. I won't make you stand up, but the two ladies in here. My wife loves them. I say, what do you love about church? My teaching? Yeah, Linda Hankins. Why? Pat's had us over for dinner. Linda's offered to watch our boys, and she's given us gifts. And she's come, and she's had all things in common with us. And they've got a steadying presence. When they're in their house having dinner with them, they're not stressed out about all the things that us 30-year-olds are stressed out about. Oh, honey, that'll pass. Oh, honey, that'll pass. Have a beer. Oh, honey, that'll pass. <laughs> the Brenners. I don't know if you know Chris and Jeannie, but we've been to their house, and they were one of the few's host homes, and we've had the best meals ever at their house. They just invite us over. It's fellowship. It's having all things in common. Stepping into the relationships. Are you doing that? There's a team here. I don't see them. They usually sit in the back row there. Four ladies, Chris, Joanne, Elaine, and Patty. And once a month, they all cook for the leaders of the student ministry. And they bring, they park in the back, and they bring their crock pots full of soup and chili and whatever it is, and they serve 30 to 40 mentors every month. And ask my wife, what's your favorite thing about serving in a ministry I lead? The mentor dinner night. (laughs) Period. That's it. If you took that out, I would be gone. (laughs) And one thing we just experienced recently, Fuse. Fuse was the student ministry thing. It only worked if the church said, you know what, we want to bring a bunch of 13-year-old boys into our house. Like 20, you know what I'm missing right now in my life? About 20 13-year-old boys in my house all weekend. I'll sign up. And all these families signed up for it, and it was amazing connection, fellowship, having all things in common. Are you enjoying that yet? Or are you on the sidelines? Are you just on Sunday kind of waiting? This isn't, these don't happen every week, but they happen. And they happen to people who devote themselves to being a part of what the church should be about. Are you doing that? How do we do this here? We have RCs. We serve together. Student ministry people get really tight because they're serving together. We have men's and women's ministry. Women's is kicking off. I think the registration's closed, so sorry if you want to do that. We have guest services, the biggest service team here. There's lots of ways. And if you press me on it, none of the things we do are perfect. We know that. But we're working towards making it as good as it can be. But you've got to devote yourself. Step towards the things that the church should be about. They had fellowship. Now I like the word fellowship. It's grown on me. Here's the next thing they did. Breaking bread. This one's easy. They ate together. Woo! Come on. We like to eat. Now the question, like, theological nerdy people like to, is this communion or is this eating? Both. Because, let's, let's just read it and then we'll talk about it. Verse 46 says this, And day by day, attending the temple together, so they're still kind of living out of their Jewish roots, and breaking bread, that's a word for eating, in their homes they received their food with glad and generous hearts. So I think they were in homes eating together, and in the Jewish faith, the Lord's Supper was actually instituted in their Passover meal. So every, their religious stuff and their eating stuff all kind of combined. So they were eating together and breaking bread, communion, the elements, the juice in the, in the cracker. It wasn't juice at that time, but they were doing this together. Like, here's my question. What if you went to a Super Bowl party tomorrow and there was no food? How lame. 
we underestimate the spiritual glue that food is. I have a Muslim family that I'm dear friends with, and when we get together, it's over food. It's me sitting on the floor and doing their Muslim thing and then telling me how I'm doing it wrong. And it's me making sure that I'm not producing any food that's against their religion, but we share a meal together. Don't overcomplicate. It said, they said this of Jesus. He's a drunkard and a glutton. One time I taught this in the students. I said, so what does that mean? And the student said, it means those people were mean. And they, they were saying bad things about Jesus. I said, okay, Jesus was a drunkard and a glutton. Here's what that means. Jesus ate a lot, drank a lot, and or was with people who ate a lot and drank a lot. Period. End of theological discussion. That's it. Jesus was in eating environments a lot. All those relationships I just walked through, most of them started with a meal. Where like it went past just the pleasantries. Don't underestimate food. And if you're one of those macro counters, go find another church. This is a church where we want to eat. <laughs> eat together. Eat together. That's my point. Eat together. But seriously, think about having someone into your house. Think about being in someone else's. There is just something that happens over a meal, over a table. It's, we're family now. That's what communion is. This is part of what they were taking communion, it seems like, every day at this point. They were going to a table and taking a cracker and drinking some wine as a reminder that they were now at God's table. That's good. That's what the church is about, eating together and God inviting us to eat with him at the communion table. Next point, the prayers. And they devoted themselves to the prayers. Where do I get that? This last little point here, end of verse 46 they received their food with glad and generous hearts, verse 47, and praising God. They devoted themselves to just prayer. If I'm honest with you, this is the thing that I could do without in my own sinful flesh. I'm just so pragmatic. What needs to happen in life? How are we going to get outward focus ministries into this place? Well, I'll come up with a five-step plan, and I'm going to go do it. Well, let's pray. Why? Prayer is not practical. It's not pragmatic. It's not American. It stops. You close your eyes. You close yourself off to a moving world. And you open yourself up to a living God who wants to speak to you and hear from you. Do you enjoy prayer time with the church? I have to grow in this area. But some of the sweetest... I used to lead an RC out of our house, and the sweetest RC night we've ever had was where we kind of talk about just our family. We kind of dreamed out loud about our kids. And then we just cried and prayed, cried and prayed, cried and prayed, cried and prayed. And it was the sweetest moment I had leading an RC. There's something about prayer. If we go back to the garden image, the first thing broken in the garden is the relationship between man and God. And prayer is an invitation back into what was broken. Not by our righteousness, but by God's grace wanting to hear from us. Do we do that together? How do we do that here at this church? We pray on Sundays. Matthew just led us. Matthew's always thinking of ways. How can we add more prayer into our service elements? In using your body and getting down on your knees. 
standing up and whatever it is we pray in our Sunday services we pray in our RCs together we have a prayer team devoted to all the prayers that will go into that giving box on your connection card and then it's sent out to a team of prayer people we've got prayer people here for that we've got a prayer team devoted to our outward focus ministries and our our partners in Turkey and Juarez we're praying church this is an area we can grow in none of these we've nailed but churches pray that's part of the work which you devote yourselves to Next one, what do we see here? Garden fruit, this last verse says this. Verse 47, praising God, what happened in response? Having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Here's the garden fruit. What response will the world have to our unity? Favor with all people, and people are added to the church. That's it. Now, if you've been around the Christian life at all, you know it's not that easy. But our unity and our harmony in the Coke commercial reality being played out here really does draw attention to us. It's the message we then have to bring of sin, salvation, God, holiness, judgment across heaven, hell that's going to repel people. But initially, our community should be magnetic. Jesus said this, by your love, they're going to know that you're mine. Not by your great teachers, not by your great Sunday school teachers, not by your great doctrine, not by your beautiful website, not by whatever you can fill in. By your love for one another, Christians, the world will know that you belong to someone else. That's the response. That's the fruit we get. People look in and say, huh, I want that. And people are added to their number. Now, I could end right there, and that'd be a great optimistic message. But here's the reality. This experience isn't 24-7 all the time. Some of you have left churches because they didn't live up to this. Some of you are frustrated with our church because you feel like we're maybe not living up to this. Some of you are frustrated right now. Frustrations kick in. In the garden, a snake came along and ruined everything. In the church, snakes and weeds come in too. So I want to end with this. What are the weeds that are going to keep us from being this type of community? Here's the... When that guy said that at the preaching class, he said, this is like the garden. I said, yeah, it is. But then you, a couple weeks, I don't know who's teaching, Luke or Seth, Ananias and Sapphira, people get killed for lying. Fast forward a little bit, widows are being neglected. Fast forward a little bit, Jews are trying to keep other people outside of the, fast forward a little bit. Paul, the guy who wrote most of the New Testament, is bickering as a leader and leaving people behind. The church does not live out the co-commercial perfectly either. And here's what I want to talk to you, the, the weeds I think I see. Here's the first one. Forget the work. Meaning, a lot of us, if we're honest, think we're going to fall backwards into a sweet, harmonious thing here at this church. I've just been around church people long enough. Like, they want it easier than it really is. Like they want to have a Sunday experience, and what's my next step? And the next step to be roses and rainbows and unicorns. Not some awkward RC where the husband and wife are in the middle of a fight. Yeah, that's me and my wife. (laughs) Whatever. It's work. It's work. They devoted themselves. They worked. My dad has an immaculate yard. I see friends from, I was at my 10-year reunion, and David Mendoza asked me, 
How's your dad's yard, man? Is it still looking great? I said, it's amazing. Here's my dad's trick. I said, Dad, I got these weeds. He said, pull them. <laughs> Tell me about this pulling weeds you speak of. Like January 1st, he's like, like every day I'm in my yard pulling weeds. And his yard is immaculate. Every day, day by day by day, are you cultivating this in the church? It's work. It leads to great fruit, but it's work. Young people, like my age-ish. <laughs> As I'm around more and more old people, we, are, we young people are kind of weenies. We just haven't lived enough life, and we think stuff's going to be kind of given to us much easier than it really is. Young people, what if you had this mentality? I'm going to be at this church for the next 40 years. And I'm going to be the old gal who's just encouraging people along the way. We don't think like that. And we should because they devoted themselves to these things. It's work. Don't forget the work. Here's the next thing I see. We forget the purpose of the tools. How many of you guys have a rake at your house? Hands up. Hands down. How many of you guys have a leaf blower at your house? Raise your hands. How many guys have ever been in a fist-to-fist fight between a rake, blow, rake person and a leaf blower? How many guys have ever fought in them because they're using the wrong tool? No one ever. Because all you care about is getting that sisu leaves off your rocks. You care about the end goal, and yet in church it's reversed. We fight about the tools. I just met with a kid that I used to teach, and he's at a church that doesn't use any musical instruments. That's a tool. Great for you. Tools, microphones, music, style of building, style of programs, tools, rakes and leaf blowers. We don't go fist to cuff over these things. We want the leaves off the lawn. We want this type of community. And here's the thing. It's going to change. Older folks, your turn. Stuff changes. And some of you do a great job of going with the flow. And some of you are just like perpetually kind of frustrated because you know the tools you like and you know how church used to be done it's just a tool the day Matthew is can't sing anymore we're replacing him, he's gone (laughs) he's just a tool But they're just tools. How we go about doing the apostles' teaching and the getting together and the breaking of bread and the prayer time, there's a million ways to go about that. Don't focus on the tool. Focus on the end result. Two more things. We forget the mission. Here's what's crazy about this passage. It ends with, there were added to that day, no, that's the wrong one, and day by day those were, be, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. These houses couldn't hold everyone. So even in this perfect garden-type experience, there had to be people who said, you know what? We don't fit in this house anymore. We got to start something new. But I'm comfortable here. I always sit next to Frank. We swap stories. We drink coffee. I love Susan's coffee. Can't get up. We forget the mission. 
They added. In this very passage, you start to see people need to get off their duffs and out of their comfort zone, even here. Those of you that are mature or experienced or whatever you would think about your Christian walk, are you just sitting in the same seat, comfortable, as numbers are being added and more and more workers are needed, yet you're just comfortable? Don't forget the mission. People are being added. Are you willing to get up and move over to Joanne's house, whose chili's cold? She doesn't make coffee, she makes tea. Tea is terrible. <laughs> Tom doesn't leave Bible study nearly as good. It's a far drive. Our kids don't get along with our kids. Fill in the blank with as many comfort justifications as you want. But day by day, numbers are being added. And somebody had to get up and go. Don't forget the mission as we go through this book of Acts. Last one is this. Did you forget the grace? Day by day, numbers were being added. Christian in the room, let me just remind us what happened. At one point, we weren't in the family of God. And we were added to the family. How so? By my resume. By my purity. By my relational integrity. Nope, nope, nope. I was added because I was confronted with my sin. And I said, God, I'm sorry. I don't even know the depths of what my sin really is, but I am sorry. And I trust that your son paid it all and brought me into your family. That's it. Church people, we forget that as we get comfortable. At one point, we weren't children of God. And God's grace came towards us. Jesus got off his couch, got off his throne, came down, took on flesh, lived a perfect life, died on a cross, was put in a tomb, came out of the tomb, and now he offers salvation to all who want to be added to this number. Don't forget the grace, Christian. Non-Christian, it's as simple as that. Do you trust Jesus to be who he says he is? The perfect human. God in the flesh, a substitute for you. When all your sin is put before God, Jesus on the cross can take it for you. And his resurrection proves that this world is really meant for something more. We're meant to live in perfect harmony. Jesus offers it. Don't forget his grace. Don't forget his mission. Don't forget the work involved. Don't forget the tools are just tools. Let's be the church. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for recreating the Garden of Eden right here amongst us where harmony can be had with you. And yet that harmony can spread to our other relationships. God, as we devote ourselves. God, none of us live this missionary life perfectly. Jesus did. And we rest in that as a church. And yet we also want to be challenged and pushed by that as well. So be with us as a church as we look ahead to what you have for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.